0: was a long time before I started to see uh, the book of Revelation as a whole, a whole unit. As I understand it, the story of that Bible that you bring to church goes like this. It goes from creation to, I'm going to call, decreation the fall and then it moves to god's promise and fulfillment of redemption and then it ends in new creation creation decreation promise and fulfillment of redemption new creation that's the Bible. That's, that's what it's all about. There are people who read the book of Revelation and all they see in it is, uh, this would be an old, old view, but it's just kind of being reawakened in, in the writings of uh, even, even um, guys like Brian McLaren, Brian Zahn and others who, when they, when they read the book of Revelation, I don't know about Bruxy, I haven't read enough of his stuff, so I can't comment and I don't want to be unfair. I have read the others, and their view is clearly that the book of Revelation, the whole thing, is a coded message written amongst the members of the early church about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. So there's nothing futuristic here. It's all all happened. It's all past. My view of Revelation is that it, it... When you look at, remember, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, my view of Revelation is that all of those things are covered in different ways in the book of Revelation, but it's not limited to. I think you have uh, all of history starting to unfold with with, uh, the kind of things that intensify and increase up to the last days, which is why, when you read the book of Revelation, when you look at it this way, moving from moving from creation to new creation. And John gets visions of these things in in an inclusive way, but including the future as well. And it explains why. For example, you have that picture of the church with 144,000 and and 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. Well, that's a weird way to picture the church, unless what you have unfolded there is God's whole plan of promise and fulfillment of redemption through Israel, through whom the Messiah would come and we would all become children of Abraham, like Paul talks about in Galatians. It explains why the redeemed around the throne, why would they be singing the song of Moses and the Lamb? Why not just the Lamb? Well, because the Lamb is presented in the book of Revelation as the fulfillment of a whole long string of historic events. It was years before I saw Revelation as a whole story I, I, of the age where I cut my teeth on, on you know, Hal Lindsey and, and charts and, and naming all the nations, Gog and Magog and when Russia was coming and where the Battle of Armageddon was going to be and how many soldiers were going to be here. And, and, and I, I, I have almost zero interest in that anymore. When you start to see, oh, that's what the book of Revelation is all about. So that's where we're at. I doubt that we'll finish this tonight. We'll go as far as we can. I'm not going to read the opening text only because I think when I start working through the points, I'll read most of the text. The text is Revelation 8, chapter 1, to Revelation 9, 21, and that's a really long text, so we're going to deal with it in, in, in portions. Just to put a little recap on last week's study. Last week we studied these two visions that form the pause at the opening of the seventh seal. You get these two visions of the 144,000, the people of God with all their Jewish roots. That's the picture of the church, the redeemed, before the tribulation. And then you have this scene... Every tongue, tribe, nation gathered around the throne at the close of the tribulation, around the throne of God. And, and the picture there is that none are lost. God kept them. God keeps his word. God keeps his promise. And so you had the opening of these seven, these seven seals. And the sixth seal brings to a conclusion. You have the second coming happening during the sixth seal. Then the seventh seal where you have this pause. And remember, in the seventh seal is contain the seven trumpets. And then in the seventh trumpet... Did I just lose height? This is this cheap chair of Gerhardt's. I'm going to get him to buy something decent. (laughs) Then... Chapter seven, the, the seventh seal, you have this pause in these two visions. Now chapters 8 and 9, they pick up the opening of that seventh seal, which contains the horrific events of the, the seven trumpets. So each of the sevens, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, I'm not going to recap everything, but continues right up to and including the end. So events build in intensity, they build in speed, the actual wrath of God poured out in the end, not to be confused with the persecution of the church by Satan and Antichrist. The wrath of God not poured out until the very end of the age, right before the second coming of Christ in glory. Now we'll pick it up. Point number one you have silence in heaven, the prayers of the saints, and the beginning of the judgments of God. So the seventh seal contains no specific activity. The contents of the seventh seal are the seven trumpets. In the same way that the content of the seventh trumpet are the seven bowls. So there's, there's a, a build-up of activity. Each aspect of the end doesn't replace the others, but adds to the previous events. Verses 1 to 5, you have this wonderful picture... This wonderful picture, heaven is pictured in silence at the opening of that seventh seal. It's a a stunned silence in heaven at what is going to happen, what is going to be coming. Remember, the the church has been praying as the end has been coming. We looked at that. What else could she do? What else could the church do? She's been outnumbered by the forces of evil in this world. She has no military might or political clout. She's frequently looked helpless in the face of persecution and violence, so she prays. But those prayers weren't answered right away. Remember, it's in 6, 9, and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne, and and they cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord holy and true. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The church had been praying, praying for years. We pray for the persecuted church. And it looked like none of those prayers was answered. But the point here is, none of those unanswered prayers Was wasted. None was missed. None was lost. And John, he sees this picture of prayers rising, sometimes in great turmoil and anguish, and he sees heaven listening, watching, waiting. Everything else is stopped. That seventh seal, everything is silent. And then those same prayers are start, you start to see them unfold in their Effect And this angel hurls his censer, filled with fire off the altar, verse 5, back down to earth. So you get this picture. You get this picture, this silence in heaven. Prayers rising. A wonderful picture of prayers rising. Heaven listening. Silence. And then God's activity, entering history at his appointed time. So... Number two, the sounding of the trumpets. I guess the main thing to notice here is the fact that these seven trumpets are divided into two groups, you'll notice. So the first four trumpets deal with plagues resulting in natural catastrophes. That's in chapter 8, verses 7 through 12. And then the second three... Trumpets uh, they seem to point to a more deadly, dramatic nature announced by a threefold cry of woe eight hundred thirteen, the cry of an eagle, and these things falling specifically on mankind. The first two of these are recorded in Revelation eight thirteen to nine twenty one. The seventh trumpet doesn't sound till 1115. And if you'll note now, as we said earlier, each of the sevens brings you right up to the end. And and when you see the seventh trumpet sounding in 1115, here's what you hear. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. From Handel's Messiah. So let's look at those first four trumpets. I said we'd read the text. So now I'm going to read Revelation 8, verses 7 through 12. All of this happens in that seventh seal. The first angel blew his trumpet. And there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea... ...and a third of the sea became blood. You'll notice this third thing happening. Nine. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. A third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch. you would picture something like a, like a, a comet or an asteroid or something like that. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water... The name of the star is Wormwood. It's interesting. A third of the waters became Wormwood, bitter. Many people died from the water because it had become bitter. A fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third, of the, a third of the sun was struck. And a third of the moon, a third of the stars. So that a third of their light might be darkened. And a third of the day might be kept from shining. And likewise, a third of the night strange verses. John sees this vision. He's doing his best. You know, God bless him. How do, you explain, how do you describe what you're seeing here? The general thrust of these judgment is felt in the realm of nature. So these four plagues, they affect vegetation, verse 7. Sources of water, sea, rivers. That's 8 to 11. Finally, the solar system itself, verse 12. And everybody, everybody tries to guess exactly how these things are going to happen. Whenever a book like that comes out, it's hot seller for a little while, and then you can usually end up in six months, you can buy that book for 50 cents. The important point seems to be the repetition of that fraction, doesn't it? The third, it's it's repeated with each trumpet blast. And, And the idea there is that, These these judgments, while severe, are not yet the final manifestation of God's judgment. So, however these judgments actually take place, we don't know for sure. What we do know is that they're, they're partial. They're not complete in what they do. Interestingly, interestingly, this list of plagues... It does seem intentionally to parallel some of the plagues poured out on Egypt, doesn't it? When you read it. When God was dealing with the stubbornness of Pharaoh, I was reading Exodus 7, 20 and 21. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up his staff and struck the water of the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned to blood and the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout the land. 10.21, and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness to be felt. I think that parallelism is intentional. I think it's intentional. We're meant to understand at least two things. You can't get the details, don't try. But we are meant to understand at least two things truths as we study these first four trumpets in Revelation chapter 8. First, God is able to do exactly what he says he will do in judging the earth. I sit here right now and I can't imagine how this can happen, right? And Pharaoh couldn't imagine how it was going to happen. And Moses. ...couldn't imagine how it was going to happen. And Israel couldn't imagine how it was going to happen. And it doesn't look like it can ever actually happen... ...but it happened. That's why these events, I believe, are framed in the context... ...future prophecy, but framed in the context of events... ...God already accomplished. It's, it's, it's to put a believability into it. That's the first thing I think we should learn. Secondly... And this doesn't get talked about very much. These judgments are only partial. Why the third? Here's my explanation. These judgments are only partial in scope... ...because God is still merciful... ...if people should choose to turn to him in repentance. I believe that's not a reach. I believe it's actually hinted at... ...even as later judgments of the Lord are poured out on the earth. Look at, look at Revelation 9, 20 and 21 the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. Neither did they repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, their thefts. And so strangely, even in these judgments, I believe, we're made to see something that that this is not just purely vengeance, that there's an element of, of, of gradual judgment, patience. Who would doubt that God could wipe out all evil and iniquity with the breath of his mouth in an instant? Why not do it like that? He wants everybody to repent. Do you, do you see where this is going? Do you see what's happening? People, then and now, people have to stubbornly choose to continue in their rebellion against all reasonable evidence whatsoever. Three. The wrath of God poured out directly on mankind. Here's what John sees next. An eagle sweeping across the sky, pronouncing, it's a talking eagle, pronouncing the final three woes of the seven trumpets. 8.13, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Two of these trumpets will sound immediately. The final of the three won't sound until 1115, and that brings you right up to the second coming again. These final trumpets are described in more detail because they... ...are leading up closer to the end. And I'm going to read some of these verses now. We'll have to hurry. Revelation 9, 1 to 11. Four trumpets have sounded. Now the fifth. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet... ...and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth... ...and he... okay, ...he was given a key to the shaft... ...of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit... ...and from the shaft rose smoke... ...like the smoke of a great furnace... And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from that shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power, like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death, will not find it. They will long to die, death will flee from them. In appearance, the locust, John is trying, in appearance, the locust. ...were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like woman's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots... ...with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions... ...and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit... His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in the Greek he is called Apollyon. We're not given, specifically, we're not given the precise identity of just who is represented by that star falling from heaven in the first verse. We're not told. We're told that he's given access to this bottomless pit. And in verse 11, we're told that the beings arising from the pit have a king over them. Named Apollyon. There are a lot of people who feel Apollyon is the same angel described in the falling star. John doesn't say. He just doesn't say. He doesn't say because he wasn't shown. Many people see a link between John's falling star and the words of the prophet Isaiah 14.12 how you are fallen from heaven o day star son of dawn how you are cut down to the ground you who have laid nations low that it might have some double fulfillment some people link these events with jesus words in luke 10:18 he says i saw satan like lightning fall from heaven it's possible It's a possible interpretation. But the fact that John isn't told the exact identity of this one who opens up the bottomless pit means we just don't know for sure. We do know when Satan is positively identified. He's identified in Revelation 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So it's not that It's not that this angel couldn't be identified. Satan is identified in other places. It's just not identified in those verses. So probably, probably, the best rule in interpreting John's visions is to be, I think, dogmatic where the vision is dogmatic, and less dogmatic where the vision is less dogmatic. But the predominant feature of this fifth trumpet is is this plague of locust-like creatures. Verses 3 through 10. But in John's vision, it's clear that these are not mere locusts. When you read, in a picture we can't maybe fully understand, this fifth trumpet reveals a plague of locust-like creatures, but which are clearly demonically driven. Because unlike actual locusts, which attack crops, grass, but are otherwise harmless to people. These end time creatures are specifically told not to attack, verse 4, the grass of the earth nor any green plant, but only to attack, verse 4, those people who do not have the seal of God. So, so again, we're constantly brought back, aren't we? To this, this 144,000, this people from every tribe and nation, the people of God... We're constantly brought back to those two visions at the beginning of chapter 7. This torment will be so severe, the text says, that people will seek death and not find it. Notice, notice, notice how those words echo the exact cry spelled out in the sixth seal. When you look at Revelation 6... 15 through 17, and it says, Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves. This is, this is at the coming. Hid themselves in caves among rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? It's the same thing here. So it's, it's another picture of the same event is what I'm trying to say. The sixth trumpet. And the huge army of these horse-like creatures. It starts at verse 13. Are you still with me? Okay. Verse 13 of chapter 9. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. And you get, see like that Old Testament picture? Do you see it? Saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels, it's interesting, isn't it? You have this vision of all these weird things that we can't possibly picture, and right in the middle of it, there's something that's so specific the Euphrates River. So the four angels, verse 15, who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released. To kill a third of mankind... the number of mounted troops... was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw... the horses in my vision... and those who rode them... they wore breastplates... breastplates the color of fire... and of sapphire... and of sulfur... and the heads of the horses... were like lion's heads... and, and fire and smoke and sulfur... came out of their mouths. By these three plagues... A third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them they wound. This plague carries the previous one to deeper levels. So these creatures not only torment the ungodly, but it says, 9.15, they they kill a third of mankind. Uh, it's, the, it's like I said at the beginning. Everything intensifies as it comes to an end. We're working on the, on the sixth trumpet here. We're coming up to the very, very end. It's important to remember again that this is a vision. John sees a vision. Some things are explained. Some things are not I'm arguing it would appear these are not to be taken as actual horses. There's people that see this as an actual battle with armies. Um, I, I don't think so. These have heads like lions, breathe out fire, smoke, and brimstone. And then in an interesting twist, these three elements coming from the mouths of these Horse-like creatures, they become three separate plagues in and of themselves. Verse 18, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. The fact that John says there were 200 million, that's what it works out to, of these horse-like creatures tells us that these aren't literal horses because there aren't 200 million horses on earth. There just aren't. An important detail of this vision is contained in verses 14 and 15. Saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. So these 200 million creatures, they're said to be Uh, kept bound at the great river Euphrates. It's very interesting the kind of Old Testament uh, symbolism there. The Euphrates was typically understood as the ideal boundary. The ideal east limit of the promised land was the Euphrates River. Beyond the Euphrates, all through the Old Testament, lay the hordes of pagan nations, pagan lands. Israel's enemies were constantly described as being just on the other side of the Euphrates. John picks this up in his vision. So we find this interesting twist developing. In response to the prayers of the saints, in response to the prayers of the saints, God is acting. I don't know if the saints even knew he was going to act in this way. That anyone would find this surprising or unacceptable is strange indeed because it's the fulfillment of so much of New Testament teaching. This isn't in your notes, but Romans twelve nineteen, 19, where, where Paul writes to Christian people who are being mistreated. And he says, don't you, don't you take vengeance. That's not your job. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So far from denying the wrath of God, faith in God's wrath is a vital scriptural component for for the patient treatment of those that wrong us. And in an unbelievable display of wisdom, God is actually using these demonically inspired creatures to to his own purpose. These, These creatures of the last two trumpets, clearly, I think, I think, are are satanically driven creatures whom God is using to destroy those who bear the mark of the beast and worship the world's godless system. Those who are sealed, with the mark of God, says they're, they're spared the foul work. And here's what happens now, as we wrap up. Before the seventh trumpet sounds, remember each of the sevens comes right to the end. Before the seventh trumpet sounds, the flow of visions that he's been getting... ...these horrific visions, it's interrupted. Just like it was in the seals. It's interrupted with other visions that that we'll, we'll get into next week. But notice that this interruption takes place in exactly the same point of the plot... ...as it did with the seven seals. Two visions came to John between the sixth and seventh seal... And he's going to get two visions between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Hey, we didn't do bad.